0: friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm Minister of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church, right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your presenter of Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's a fantastic privilege uh, to be able to be with you. Uh, Now, folks, uh, this week uh, we're following the theme Radical Forgiveness in an unforgiving world. Now, we're not talking about uh, the fact of God's forgiveness for us, although, of course, this comes from that reality, uh, but rather the scriptural injunction that we should forgive one another. This is a absolutely radical uh, belief within the context of the world in which we're currently living. Uh, today, we're going to be asking, should I forgive persistent offenders? You know those people who are giving you a hard time Not once, twice, three times or four times But they are just regular pain in the neck Uh, How should I relate To those individuals Should I forgive Persistent offenders What is uh, the method Of I should use. Now, to guide us through our discussion today, we're actually joined by a regular Wednesday co-host, and that's Pastor David Butcher. And it's fantastic to have David with it. And David, of course, is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in uh, South Oz. Now, welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary, and a big hello to all of our listeners out there. It's wonderful to have you with us. Now, tell me, has life been
1: kind to you recently? Look, it's been really good having um, a couple of days off over the Easter weekend. You had some time off? A little bit. I did quite a lot of work as well, but um, yeah, it looked really nice. We had some sunshine, we had some wet weather, and um I got on my bike and my wife got on hers and we went for a small ride uh, Sunday afternoon, which was really
0: good. Okay, I understand your wife's got the electric bike.
1: She's got the electric bike, but she just, she's got two bikes and she decided she would use the pedal-powered bike Oh, that's um, and uh, which was really good. It was really nice to get out um, in the breeze and uh, go through some of the tree-lined suburbs of Adelaide.
0: Have you tried any of those big hills that are around Adelaide just yet?
1: I have in the yeah, I have, but uh, seeing I haven't <laughs> ridden consistently for some time. Um, I haven't for a while, so certainly yeah. Look up to Mount Lofty. It's about I don't know seven hundred meters in elevation. Yeah um it's it's a significant ride and through some of the hills in Adelaide. Adelaide is a really good place to ride bikes and um yeah, I just need to do make more time to do more of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the beautiful thing
0: about Adelaide is it's actually got and you don't have to ride on the streets although there's lots of people that do. Uh but you can actually follow some of the the linear park tracks. And uh, I know I've, you know, had the privilege of uh, going actually with our group of of pathfinders on, on one particular occasion we went right from the lower hills right out to the uh to the ocean, took us uh, uh, all morning into the early afternoon. It was a fantastic ride.
1: It's about a 38-kilometre ride, that particular ride, if you go from the foothills to to the beach. Um, Look, I like riding on the road. The roads are really good in Adelaide. I mean, you do hear of accidents, but um, Adelaide is really well-placed for cycling, so if you're listening to us from Townsville or Broome or wherever you may be, take a trip to Adelaide, hire a bike or bring your bike because the accessibility in Adelaide of riding to the hills, yeah. you can be 10, 15 minutes out of town and you're, you're riding into the hills, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. And, of course,
0: that linear park track that I've, I've certainly right. done myself takes you right through the centre of the city. It takes you past the Adelaide Cricket Ground, the right, the, some of the most um, glorious uh, sites in nature, uh, on the ocean and also in the middle of the city. It really is quite, uh, quite impressive, actually. Uh yeah. But look David, let's come to some um uh, our world watch uh segment. Now, uh, I've got an article today. It comes from the uh Religion News Service. It was actually the headline article uh today. And uh, of course, this is one of those subjects that I uh, I'd be re- I'd be really interested to hear back uh from uh, some of our folks maybe on our uh on our text messaging line. Now, uh this uh this article actually concerns worship music. Now, I know everyone's got an opinion on this particular subject this is one subject that I constantly get myself into trouble uh, for, uh, uh, for for expressing views particularly with my family you know if I want to have a, a, a deep discussion with my family this is the subject to actually bring you and know, so bring now
1: up. you want to get me into trouble That's right. across faith FM australia so gary you 've invited people um, to to message in what is that number we like oh, yeah, them to yeah, yeah 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 look that,
0: that that number is oh four triple eight Eight oh eight eleven, And I'll give it to you again in a minute, O four triple eight eight oh eight eleven. 80811. But this is what the article last said. Uh, the article's entitled, uh, There's a Reason Every Hit Worship Song Sounds the Same. A new study has found that the most popular worship songs come from a handful of megachurches with a knack for writing pop songs about what God will do for you. Now, I found that title a a knack for writing about songs about what God will do for you. On Easter Sunday, the worship band at Bethel Community Church in Redding, California, opened its service with uh, This Is Amazing Grace, a 2012 hit that's remained one of the most popular worship songs of the past decade. Chances are thousands of other churches around the country also sang the song sang that song or one very similar to it. A new study found that Bethel and a handful of other mega churches have cornered the market on worship music in recent years, churning out hit after hit uh, and dominating the worship charts. A study looked at 38 songs that made the top 25 lists for CCLI and Praise Church uh, which both a track which songs are being played in churches, and found that uh, almost all had originated from one of just four uh, mega churches around the world. Of the songs in this study, 36 had ties to a group of four churches: a Bethel, Hillsong. Omega uh, Church, headquarters we know in Australia, Passion City Church in Atlanta, which runs the popular youth conference that fills stadiums, and Elevation, a North Carolina congregation that ties to the Southern Baptist Convention. If you've ever felt like most worship music sounds the same, the study's authors wrote, it may be because the worship music you are most likely to hear in many churches is written by just a handful of songwriters from a handful of churches the research team made up of two worship leaders and three academics who study worship music made some initial findings public on uh, on tuesday elias dummer A worship leader and recording artist uh, said that he and his colleagues have been watching changes in worship music over the past decade. They wanted to know how worship songs became popular amongst churches, he said. They also wanted to know how the business of producing and marketing songs is shaping the worship life of local churches. Now, that I found a really significant comment. They wanted to know how the business of producing and marketing songs is shaping the worship life of of local churches. Dummer said, many worship leaders believe the best songs become the most popular in churches. They also believe these songs become popular uh, because they work. People respond to them during worship services and want to sing them over and over. But that's not exactly true. And Dummer and his colleagues found that many of the more recent hit songs were released as singles on Spotify and other streaming services, which helps fuel their popularity. There are actual mechanisms by which songs become the most significant, he said. It's not just whatever songs the Holy Spirit blesses that makes the top of the charts. There are actual mechanisms. Uh, for their study, researchers compared popular worship songs written before 2010 with those written from 2010 to 2020. Those earlier songs were often associated with individual worship leaders, such as Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, and uh, uh, rather than with churches, and came from a variety of sources. But beginning in 2010, the most popular new songs began to come from megachurch worship bands the most popular worship artists began affiliating with those churches. Of the 38 songs in the study, 22 were initially released by just four mega churches uh, Do you know, as I, I kept uh, um, uh, I kept kept reading, uh, this uh, uh, some things started to jump out at me, which, which I suppose became more of a concern. Um, uh, they've seen that spirituality... Um, uh, whereabouts are we again? Sorry, I've lost my place. Uh, all of them. Uh, no, here we go. Uh, Adam Perez, assistant professor of worship studies at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, said that four of the most influential megachurches all come from the charismatic tradition of Protestant churches. Uh, all of them, he said, have spirituality that believes God becomes present in a meaningful and powerful way when the congregation sings a particular style of worship song. Now, that to me uh, is starting to ring a few bells. Those songs become one of the primary ways of connecting with God rather than, for example, things like prayer. Because of their market success, these churches have changed the spiritual practices and sometimes even the theology of congregations from many, many traditions. Now, David, I know that this entire subject, this, this issue of, of worship music, is probably one of the most controversial that uh, uh, any discussion, any issue could if something could is rise in a if anything could raise in a church this is going to get a discussion uh, actually actually happening now uh, look to to what extent has has christian music been commercialized to an extent uh that it is uh, simply uh used for consumerism uh rather than for worship uh, I think there's an element of truth to what you say, Gary. Like
1: with most things, you say. I'm just having a dig at you uh, for our listeners listening. Uh, look, this is a really hot topic, and um, I certainly don't have a musical bone in my body. And if you want to exit, uh, want people to exit a building, you get me to sing. But uh, you know, I started playing the didgeridoo or trying to, and uh, maybe almost got there. But uh, I wouldn't call myself a good proponent of it, uh, of, of playing one. But look, Gary, I, I think um for me music and and praise music and singing is one of the key, the key elements of worship. You know, in a church there are many uh, variations. There is prayer, there is giving, there is story time, there is sharing or testimony time, there is the Word. It's all about worshiping God. Yeah. For me, some of the concerning things uh, in this article is, is um, how it changes theology, how mm. our praise and mm. worship could change mm. theology. Uh, there are a number of uh, modern songs, worship songs that I like. Mm. The ones that particularly particularly bring uh, significant concern to me are the ones where I, as the worshipper, become the key focal point. Mm. N- and there seems to be a plethora of, of songs where that is the case, like, God, mm. you do this for me, I, c- you know, I call you answer sort of thing. Mm. Now, if you go back and look at some of the hymns, some of the hymns also have an element of that. But I think there was, uh, you know, just in my own thinking, a point in time where... Uh, it was more about giving God the glory and the praise and the honor. For me, I think worship is about – it's two things. It's the transcendent God who is mm. above all and um, mighty and awesome and powerful uh, and the creator God. Mm. And so you come before him with awe, a bit like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, where he has yeah. his vision of God in the temple and he says, Why was me? I'm a man of unclean lips. We yeah. come with God with trembling with awe, so to speak. Um, there's the other element of the, the imminence of God, the nearness of God mm. and, 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 you know, Jesus taking on human flesh and, mm. and, um, acquainted with all our ways. So worship, I think, is this balance between, uh, God who is above all and all-powerful and a God who is close and near. But above all, we need to recognize who we are. Mm. We're sinners, but we're changed by grace in Jesus Christ. So there is this humbleness. Mm. The mm. other thing that, that I struggle with at times and, and I think that you can be in a church and it's absolutely dead and people are singing a song talking about how they love Jesus. But I tell you what, it certainly doesn't sound like it. Yeah. You go to the other extreme and you have a praise team up the front of a church and it, it's, they
0: say, they sing really well, but no one else is joining in in the worship. Mm, It's interesting you actually say that because, in fact, folks, look, if you've got a a comment you'd like to make, remember, you can send it through to us o four triple eight. 80811-04888-80811. Eight oh eight eleven oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven. One of the things that I'm just really conscious of, I've a number of times I've actually talked to my to my musicians, and uh, I've certainly shared with them. I've said, "Look, uh, what my desire is in worship music uh, is that the congregation is able to sing their uh, their praise uh, to me uh, i uh, i 'm like you no particular musician but what I do know is that when the people are singing with gusto when they 're praising god uh, when they 're involved in the worship themselves at that point i know that something very powerful is happening now and one of the things i suppose i 'm conscious of david is that increasingly uh, what i 'm seeing is that uh, worship music is becoming more and more a performance uh, rather than uh, the congregation responding to uh, the God of heaven.
1: Yeah, look, there's some good points there, Gary, and I know for me, Um, You know, when I came across to South Australia, I remember going to a church that, were you pastoring at the time, Adelaide City Church? I remember sitting right down the very front of that church and um, same with one of my churches I pastored in Mildura, Victoria, uh, sitting right down the front of the church and um, can't see how full the church is, but they were both very full. And when it comes to singing, you stand up and you sing and just hearing the gusto and the enthusiasm and the
0: involvement of the congregation, you when you get up and preach, you're walking on air after that. Oh, you are, you are. In, in fact, you know, to me, and sometimes people say, "Look, you know, we have to uh, relate to that to the culture of the day." Uh, I, I know. Look, over at my my church at uh, at Brighton, uh, you know, we've just done the the National Church Life uh, Survey, uh, which, of course, is a survey that many churches have uh, have done, and, and for uh, all
1: denominations, for all, across all denominations,
0: right across Australia. And, and to me, the thing that really uh, did did jump out at us. So there were certainly some things there where, uh, you know, some uh but, Certainly some suggestions came through as to how we could do things better. And that was particularly in the, uh, the long range of strategic planning type area. Hey, this is an area we should really pick up on. But the thing that I really did uh, appreciate was the, uh, was the issue of, uh, of, of worship, preaching and worship, the two of them actually going, going together. Uh, and of course, uh, it, at our church, uh, when I, I first was pastor at that church uh, the average age was probably 20 years older than me and I'm in my <laughs> mid 60s now um now uh, it's dropped to being 20 to 25 years younger uh, than than me according to the to the documents uh, we do have young people young people attending uh, and yet the thing that uh the survey actually rated uh, our church as being in the top 10% uh, of uh of Australian churches uh, as far as our uh, worship and uh worship and uh, uh, and preaching that that whole area uh, what was actually concerned, and to me, I looked at that, and the people we had very positive re- response uh, on the issue of worship music and and I have to accept you know the uh, my church at, at Brighton uh, certainly utilizes um, uh, traditional hymns of the church. Uh, and, you know, to me, it's a, it's an incredible blessing when as a community, a church is able to come together. Because to me, uh, we actually don't, I, I personally don't believe in, in focusing my, my church on a one particular age bracket. To me, there is incredible benefit with actually having the, you know, the senior, intergenerational intergenerational, you know, the, the senior, you know, the retirees are uh, having to interact with uh, with young people, young people having to uh, interact with those who are retirees. You know, this is something that I, I believe is important if you're going to build community.
1: It is, Gary. So just a couple of things for me as well. Yeah, I guess it's concerning that, that worship music becomes a marketing tool. Yeah. Uh, I guess we do live in that environment. And I guess if I was a songwriter, I, maybe I would be happy to have my music marketed. Uh, but, um, you know, and I don't think there is anything wrong with a particular individual being prolific. Um, Charles Wesley wrote six and a half thousand hymns. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but where is the focus of our worship? Our worship should be dynamic. Yeah. But I want to suggest we don't have to think that has to come through music. I'm not saying music can't be a part yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been part of very vibrant churches before that, um, as a student, that um, basically only sang hymns. Yeah. The church was full of young people that were really missional, and it was a vibrant church. So, mm. for me, what makes a vibrant church are people that are sold out on God. Mm-hmm. They love the Lord with all their heart. They don't want to hold it in themselves. They want to share it. Yeah. They come together. There is a harmony within the church. Yeah. And so whether it's, it's more modern praise worship, whether it's hymns or a combination of the two, when you've got people in a deep relationship with the Lord, they're on fire for the Lord and want to share something. Uh, when the church is focused outwardly on the community... Mm. Um, God does amazing things. That's where you have vibrant worship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No,
0: really appreciate that, David. Look, folks, we do need to uh, to come. We have spent more time. This subject is always one that uh, people do get passionate uh, about. And uh, today, uh, let's come to some uh, Christian music. This is uh, Christian Bedale. Uh This is a really beautiful uh, little song. Uh, find us, uh, find us faithful. Uh, please enjoy. On
2: the journey of the narrow road. And those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives, a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace, surrounded by. So great a cloud of witnesses Let us run the race Not only for the prize But as those who've gone before us Let us leave to those behind us The heritage of faithfulness Passed on through godly love
0: Christian Badal and the uh, song Find Us uh, Faithful. Uh, really love uh, uh, Christian's, uh, Christian's music there. Uh, now, guys, look, we do have a, a giveaway uh, book for you today. Now, the giveaway book is by Tamara Horst. And uh, the book's entitled Teach Us to Pray. Now, look, guys, have you ever uh, wondered, you know, how can I have a better prayer life? How can I grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there something I can read during my devotional time? Now, this is a book that's worth uh, picking up if uh, they are your questions. Look, folks, more than anything else, we want people to be able to grow spiritually. Growing spiritually does mean uh, you need to spend time with our Lord and our God uh, on a daily basis basis so many people though I'm conscious uh, just simply saying how 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 do I actually do that uh this book uh certainly deals with that subject of prayer I would encourage you to to pick this book up teach us to pray Tamara uh Tamara Horst and uh, now look if you would like uh this uh this book all you need to do is to text us at our studio text number and that number again is 0488 80811 04 880811 and uh, just in that text just put the code SA113. Now no gap between the SA and the 113, just SA113. And that will go uh, directly to our robot. They've renamed him again. He's Hudson now. Uh Hudson will uh, receive your your text SA113 when you dial oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven, and uh, he'll come back to you and just ask you a few questions uh, so that we can get this book to you in the fastest uh, way possible. Uh Teach Us to Pray by Tamara uh, Horst. And uh, that number again is 80811, And the code is SA113. Uh, now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And to our co-host today is Pastor David Butcher, and David is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Australia. Uh, and this week, we're following the theme, Radical Forgiveness in an Unforgiving World. And today, we're asking, should I forgive those persistent offenders, those who are a pain in the neck continually to me. In fact, more than a pain in the neck are people who are can become quite obnoxious at uh, at times. Now, uh, David, um, in in Matthew eighteen, there was a parable. Now, I want you to take us through this parable because uh, Peter, I believe, asked a question of Christ. Christ responded, and as he often did, he told a parable, and it was dealing with this very question. Now, uh, take us through that. Uh, what really is it saying to us? How does it apply to us today?
1: Yeah, look, thank you, Gary. This is a beautiful parable and story. And uh, we find it in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Uh, The chapter actually begins in the very first verse with uh, um, in chapter 18, where the disciples come to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We know previously that Peter had been commended for saying who Jesus was, you mm-hmm. know, and then um, later on uh, Jesus tells him to get behind him, Satan, because Peter had sort of said Jesus was saying you needed to die, and Peter was saying not you, Lord, but uh, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But in ver- that's in verse one. But in verse twenty-one, it says then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Now this is a really um, interesting question. It's it's an important and a practical one, Gary, when um, you want to know how many times you need to forgive someone. How often should you forgive your wife? How often should you forgive your children? And maybe more importantly, how often should they forgive you? And um, so Peter asks the question, but he doesn't wait for Jesus to answer. Mm. He comes in with a ready answer. He says... um, Peter's like that, isn't he? He is, and and I like it because, um, you know, we look at our own personalities, all of us. And we look at the disciples, and boy, uh, we would probably all qualified to be a disciple.
0: Uh, indeed, indeed. You know, you look at this, and I sort of, you know, I mean, I know I'm sort of one of those people that, uh, you know, I mean, I, th- I think I, uh, I know which category I actually fall into. And, uh, you know, it's not good on
1: occasions. And I'm not going to verify, but I'm smiling. So, So Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he says, doesn't wait, he gives the answer. Mm. It's almost a rhetorical question. He says, up to seven times. And I'm sure, as he's saying up to seven times, he's got this big, smirky, prideful grin on his face. Yeah. The reason is that uh, the Jewish lead religious leaders believe that you only needed to forgive someone three times, certainly not four. Yeah. And so Peter thinks, "Say, okay, uh, I'll double it. That's six. I'll throw in one for good measure because seven's also a good number. Yeah, yeah. Perfect number in the Bible. Wholeness, completeness. Uh, seven times Jesus. Yeah. And I'm sure he's about to give himself a pat on the back, and he's waiting for Jesus. And that's to... what he's
0: expecting. He's expecting a compliment from Jesus, isn't he?
1: Exactly. And I'm sure it's just, you know, he's just hanging there waiting for it. Yeah. But then Jesus sort of shatters his little world of, of, uh, of, of Peter's own limits of forgiveness, and he says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. A- and it's at that point that um, Peter's mouth drops to the floor, yeah. The other eleven disciples help drag both of his feet out of his mouth, mm. and Peter walks away with his tail between his legs, proverbially. <laughs> so Jesus says, "Not seven. You think seven's good? Yeah. It's not seven. It's seventy times seven. Seventy times seven, Gary. I was never good at maths, but uh, is four hundred and ninety. That's a lot." It is, and, um, and I'm sure there are some people that have probably said they've forgiven me more than that. <laughs> but is that what Jesus is really saying? and we're going to get into his yeah. second answer yeah. to the question. Yeah. Uh, the first part of Jesus' answer is this very text, mm. not seven, but 70 times seven. There's mm. two answers, mm. two parts. And I want to suggest here, Jesus isn't saying we should keep account. Once you've got to 490, 70 times 7, you can strike that person off your Christmas uh, list, or your birthday card. You'd have to take
0: a notebook around with you, wouldn't you?
1: And we know that some of the religious leaders d- did that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And Gary, I know of some people that probably do the same, yeah, yeah, so to speak. But I think what Jesus is really saying here, and, and for our listeners, and I'll, this is really practical, forgiveness is not something that can be counted or measured
3: Mm, mm,
1: now alpha. I don't know about you, I like statistics And in yeah. the role that I'm in is like an administrative pastor yeah, 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 yeah. I like to know how many baptisms How many people are having Bible studies How many people as a church pastor have been in my church How many of them are new yeah. that particular week yeah. I love statistics Forgiveness is not something that can be counted or measured Forgiveness is the state of the heart Wow, wow And so Jesus is saying I want you to Lose count of the number of times you forgive. That's the first part of his answer. How many mm, times should I forgive is the mm. question? Seven times? Mm. No, no, Peter. 70 times seven, 490.
0: But really, Peter, what I'm saying is don't count. I want you to lose count. You know, I mean, sometimes we, we turn around and say, goodness me, that's a huge expectation on us. And yet the thing that I'm conscious of is that, that is actually the way God himself regards forgiveness of us. And, and Gary, you've really hit on something, and this is the second part
1: of Jesus' answer. But before, I'm going to hold you back here, Gary. Before we get to that, and I know we'll go yeah, for a, yeah, a song yeah. shortly, reminds me of a, a church I pastored, which we'll rename ma- nameless, but uh, there was an older lady that was a matriarch in the church and a younger lady, and I'd walked into this church and there were issues amongst them. And I think Mm -hmm. Philippians, isn't it Philippians? Paul talks about the two women that have issues. Anyway, um, the younger lady, and it was a small church, Mm -hmm. uh, probably 20 people. Uh, The younger lady went to the older lady and said, listen, we need to work through this. This is not good that you and I have this angst and these issues between us. We need to work through them. We need to forgive each other. Mm. and the older lady, now I heard this from the younger lady, the older lady said to the younger lady, without a a break in speech and uh, without any real animation, she said, listen, Uh, because the younger lady said, we're going to be in heaven together. We've got to work through it now. Mm. The older lady said, heaven's going to be a big place. We don't have to talk.
0: Wow.
1: And um, I want to suggest to our listeners, when we fail to forgive... We are the ones that are losing out. We are the ones that are being eaten away spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, uh, every which way. And the second part of the answer to this question how many times should I forgive? First part was limitless. Yeah. The second part is what
0: you've touched on, uh, which,
1: you know, we, we
0: also need to look at. Mm, mm. Yeah, no. Look, that's uh, that's incredibly powerful. We're getting come to some music uh, in a moment, but do you know one of the things I'm so so conscious of, David, is that you know I certainly also was pastoring a church on one particular occasion, and uh, I know there were well, certainly two men in that uh, that particular church, and uh, uh, just backing up what it was that you you said, and you know they had actually been uh, at uh, at loggerheads for years and years and years, and uh, I, I certainly attended To to talk to them both about this issue, uh, and I said exactly the same thing. Hey, you know, you are going to be in you know in in the kingdom together, and uh, they both assured me. That uh, uh, they both weren't going to be in the kingdom, uh, and they both knew exactly who would be in the kingdom and who wouldn't be in the kingdom. Uh, now, you know, David, you know, I mean, you know, so some of this gets ridiculous. You know, and people
1: don't don't realise. It's happy days when you get that sort of thing happening, and and so that clearly shows there is a problem and in the heart. Yeah. yeah. And so forgiveness is about the state of the heart for me. It's about our human condition and. What happens when we feel wronged? We feel that we've been victimized. We've been feel feel that we've been um, acted against so wrongly that we've got to make it right. We've got to make that person pay. Um, all of those sorts of things. And this is where the second part of Jesus's answer comes into play significantly.
0: Yeah. And look, we're going to come to that. And it's actually, it's part of a, part of a parable. But before we do that, let's come to some, some music. This is Guy Penrod and uh, he's singing, uh, he hideth my, my soul. Please, please enjoy. And uh, he's singing, he hideth my my soul. And you know, some of these uh, traditional hymns of the Christian Church are so powerful. Uh, they are life-changing, uh, pieces of music. I'd encourage you to, uh, please teach them, uh, to your churches. Teach them to your young people. Uh, they do, uh, impact the heart and the, uh, and the mind. And now, folks, look, we do have that giveaway book again. That giveaway book in, uh, today is entitled Teach Us to Pray by Tamara Horst. This is a real a little, a little beauty. Uh, you can pick it up, uh, uh, just by uh, texting us here. Now, uh, look folks one of the most beautiful times in the day to me is actually first time, first thing in the morning. Uh, I love being able to get up I love being able to uh, spend some time uh, in reading uh, I love being able to spend some time in, in prayer uh, often i'll I'll follow after that by uh, going going for my walk and uh, in the quiet the peace of the morning it's amazing the way the Holy Spirit does actually speak to you. But you know, one of the questions many people have actually got is how can I learn to pray? Is it possible? You know, the disciples actually approached Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, and then he taught them the Lord's Prayer. That that's, that, that question's actually recorded in Luke's uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke's rendition of the, uh, of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this book uh, deals with exactly the same subject, teach us to pray. Now, guys, I would encourage you, if you really want to grow, In your spiritual life, why not uh, apply? Why not just uh, text us for this uh, for this book if you'd like it? uh, Our text number is oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven O four triple eight eight oh eight eleven and our code for today is SA one one three. No gap between the SA and the one one three just SA one one three that'll go through to our robot. Uh they're calling him Hudson now uh, and he'll come back to you. He'll ask you a few questions uh so that uh we can get this book to you in the uh fastest way possible. You will love this book. O four triple eight 80811 and the code is SA113. Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary And today my co-host is Pastor David Butcher And David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church Right here in South Oz And uh, this week we're following that theme Radical forgiveness uh, in an unforgiving world And today we're asking Should I forgive persistent offenders? Now David, I've really appreciated what it is That you've been sharing with us so far I mean Peter's asked this question Christ has given him uh, 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 an answer that is really out there. Uh, but then he goes on to uh, tell a parable. Take us through that parable. Yeah, So we're looking at
1: Matthew chapter 18. If I had the opportunity to speak to Jesus there'd be a list of questions
0: yeah, yeah, that yeah, I'd yeah, want to yeah,
1: ask him. Yeah, yeah. And What Peter's question is how many times shall I forgive someone who s- sins against me? That's a very good question a very practical one. Jesus in the first part of his answer says hey forgiveness knows no limits. 70 times 7. Not 7 times but countless, uh, uh, limitless times, you Mm. forgive till you Mm. forget Mm-hmm. Uh, the second part of Jesus' answer to how many times should I forgive my brother or someone is found in Matthew 18, verses 24 to 27, and this is this is a parable. Mm-hmm. And in this parable, basically, Jesus tells a story. And a parable is typically a story uh, that is usually made up. Sometimes it represents things in the era that Jesus was in. It's, it's relevant mm-hmm. to the people. Mm-hmm. But he, he tells a story that has meanings. Not every element of the parable you can press and say this means this, etc. But in this second part of the response There is a king He's wanting to clean up all of his outstanding accounts All of everyone that owes him debts mm-hmm. And so he calls in One of his servants And this must have been a very trusted servant In a higher position Verse 20, uh, 24 to 27 Of um, chapter 18 of Matthew And when the king had begun To settle accounts One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents mm. And we'll talk about that in a minute But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt.
3: Mm. So
1: let's unpack it. There's two parts to this parable. Here is a, a servant Obviously, a trusted servant, because Mm -hmm. he, when the king calls in everyone that owes him money, this particular servant owes him 10,000 talents. Now, we don't get paid in talents. We get paid in dollars. Mm. So, what's a talent? Well, let's unpack that further. A denarius um, was a day's wages for a
0: laborer. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, A talent was made up of 6,000 denarii or 6,000 days wages. Whoa. Now, this particular servant, and Jesus, I think, is using, exaggerating, if you like, to to make his point. This particular servant owes 10,000 talents to the king. One talent is 6,000 denarii or 6,000 days' wages. So, this particular servant owes the king 60 million days' wages. Now, Gary, you said you're in your mid-60s. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would like to earn 60 million days' wages because you know how many years 60 million days' wages is, Gary? Uh, with or without interest? Uh, without interest. I'll take 60 million days' wages. Yeah. 60 million days' wages is 164,384 years' can, worth of I debt. I be an old man by the time
0: I've worked that, won't I?
1: Exactly. Now, now, usually banks will give you a loan, a mortgage yeah. for a house up to thirty years. Yeah, yeah. This particular servant, and, and we us not—that's not—lose uh, uh, not, um, this point. This particular servant owes one hundred and sixty-four thousand, three hundred eighty-four years worth of debt. How do you get into that much debt? Uh, and this is parts of the parable you can't push. Obviously, he was. Trusted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, he was trusted.
0: Yeah. And he abused that trust. Yeah, yeah. But he's managed to get himself into an abominable amount of debt. A- he has. And
1: yet he doesn't realise the seriousness of the situation because the king says, hey, I'm going to uh, throw him in jail and, and um, is sell his wife and his kids uh, as slaves. Uh, yeah, they were to be sold and he was to be thrown in jail. And he and, says? Yeah, and, and, and he says he falls down at the king's feet Master, have patience with me. The king's not going to be around. Have in patience, and I will
0: give you. I will repay, repay it all. Everything. I mean, this guy is either uh, he he's a, a fool, he's a fool. He doesn't appreciate
1: the cost of his sin. Yeah, he doesn't realise how much he owes. Yeah, he doesn't appreciate how much he has wronged his king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we need to remember this. Yeah. One hundred and sixty-four thousand three hundred and eighty-four years worth of debt. Mm. Have patience with me, King, and I'll repay everything.
0: Yeah, he's only going to live a hundred years at max. Goodness. He, a, in other words, he cannot repay even without interest. He, this is a debt that it is physically impossible for him to be able to repay.
1: Even the richest man in the world might struggle to pay this debt. So Jesus is saying, you cannot repay. For the wrongs and the sin which you have committed in your life. It is impossible. Against me. Against, against him. Yeah, against him. Jesus is saying, against me you've sinned. I'm the king. You cannot repay what you owe. Mm. And and he says, look, just give me more time, have patience, and I'll do it. The king then is moved with compassion. Mm. Greek word splaknizomai, which is the, the strongest word for compassion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's forgiven, and he's freed. Now, Gary, imagine if you had a mortgage that was one hundred sixty-four thousand, three hundred eighty-four years, and the the bank manager calls you in and says, "We're wiping it."
0: Whoa!
1: How, what would you do when you leave that bank? Ah, uh, rejoice, rejoice, <laughs> rejoice! And, and you'd have a party. I, I would certainly come up and ask you which bank, and I'm not advocating any particular <laughs> bank, right? But you'd be excited. You'd Indeed. be happy. Indeed. Now, this this man waltzes out of the king's court. You imagine the yeah. weight around his neck. Uh, uh, you it's know, gone. The, weighing on it's him. gone. But he didn't really understand the depth of his sin, his debt. Yeah. Yeah. But he leaves that. Um, uh, leaves the court. Verse twenty-eight. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, that's a hundred days' wages, three and a half months. Three and a half months. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant, listen to what the fellow servant says, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, listen to the words, have patience with me and I will pay you all. The second servant owes the first servant 100 days wages, three and a half months. Mm. The servant that's been forgiven 164,384 years worth of debt leaves the king's court a forgiven man, mm. no debt, free. He grabs a poor man by the throat yeah. who owes him 100 days wages. It's not he mine. owes the king 60 million days wages. Mm. Yeah. Someone owes him 100 grabs him by the throat pay up or I'll put you in prison that same man falls at his feet and says to the one who's just been forgiven give me pay, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything the same words it's exactly the same. that the other man had said before the king yeah, yeah. and the response uh, when I find my place the response is um, and he and he would not this is the, f- the one that had been forgiven the most. He would not allow him to re- give him patience and mm, more time. Mm. He would not, but, w- but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Mm. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master all had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Mm. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Mm. And the, the sermon, the parable finishes on a very poignant deep thought. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart, forgiveness is a state of the heart, remember? Mm. He says, my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his sins. Mm. So Gary, the second part of this answer is Jesus' answer, "How many times should I forgive?" is not a number. Mm. Forgiveness is a state of the heart. It's a state of realizing how much we are indebted to God.
0: In other words, I have been forgiven so, so far above anything that I will ever be asked to forgive, that God is saying, What I want you to do is I want you to be as forgiving as what I am. Exactly, but even in a micro concept, because
1: uh, we've been forgiven so much that it it cost the king his life. Mm. Mm. So when I, we all get angry. I get angry when someone cuts me off. Yeah. And I don't use expletives, I just pull up in front of them and slow down. (laughs) <laughs> this is bad, okay? But we all get angry when we're aggrieved and wronged. Yeah, yeah. And yet, when someone wrongs me, I think they owe me so much. I think they've done terrible things. Mm, mm. They should be really sorry. Yeah, yeah. Jesus yeah. in this parable flips it on the head and he says, Hang on, David. Someone's wronged you 100 days' wages.
0: Mm.
1: You need to remember, David, how much you've been indebted to me. Yeah, one hundred sixty-four thousand yeah. three hundred eighty-four years, 60 million days' wages, and I've forgiven you.
0: Yeah. So go model that. Wow. Wow. You know, this is actually so powerful because I mean, I think of even the, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer, you know, you get this statement by by Christ there, you know, and part of the Lord's Prayer is uh forgive us our debts. Uh, but then he says as we forgive our debtors. It's almost as though Christ is saying in the Lord's Prayer uh that uh, we are praying that God will forgive us to the same extent that we are prepared to forgive our brother or our sister, the willingness. Now, forgiveness is not innate in us; it's
1: it's supernatural. It comes from God, mm. so we need to pray for the same heart that Jesus had. It's a state of the heart. Um, Ephesians four thirty two says, instead, this is Paul. Instead, he says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Mm. We've been made in the image of God.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Part of that is uh, an image is is a copy of something it's it's we are here to mimic and imitate what Jesus did we are here to that's not writing off someone's wrong mm. that's not saying there's no consequences mm. that's not saying you don't justice isn't warranted you need prison time depending on what you've done mm. but it's really saying god it's a state of the heart i want to give this pain over to you i'm not going to carry the burden mm. of of this any longer i'm giving it over to you
0: and of course, David, on those very big issues that you've just, that you've just mentioned, tomorrow we're actually going to be talking about this issue of, uh, of forgiveness and accountability. Does one negate the other? And of course it doesn't. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. But one of the things that I'm really conscious of is that even amongst uh, people in Christian churches, there are often hard feelings, and not for any substantive reason, but simply, you know, often their personalities simply don't get on. Uh, and I can I can well remember uh, uh, cases where uh, where individuals have uh, have. Being at war with each other within the church, uh, for year after year after year. And, and if you look at it, the issues are just so small, so inconsequential, uh, that you, you shake your head and you say, how can this be?
1: But they don't remain that, Gary, because what they do, they fester, they grow yep. like a cancer. Yep. yep. They get bigger than Ben Hur, so to speak. Yep. And then sometimes I've seen in, in, in country regions, those, those, Challenges then get taken up by the children or yeah, the grandchildren and yeah. they don't even know what the issue was over. Yeah, yeah. So I want to suggest, Gary, that, and I'm going to say this quite strongly, given what we've looked at, uh, given what you've said about what Jesus said about for, uh, we're forgiven as we forgive, if you like, um, we're not going to get go to heaven if we're carrying grudges.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: We need to remember that more than any wrong that anyone has transgressed against us, we have committed far greater wrong against God, and yet yeah. he's been prepared to forgive us. Yeah.
0: If yeah. we don't have a forgiving spirit, we won't re- we won't reach heaven. Mm. Look, let's just finish at that point. Let's just bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you for being the forgiving God. Lord, thank you for being the God that has forgiven us far more than even 490 times. Uh, Thank you for being the God that's been prepared to forgive and forgive and forgive. Uh, Lord, thank you for the sheer generosity that you have displayed uh, towards us. Uh Lord I, I just want to pray right now for any person who might be might be hearing this uh, this broadcast today. Uh Lord I just pray that you might be the one to move by your holy spirit. Lord if there's anybody who is, who is struggling, they they know that there's uh there's someone that they um that they're not in harmony with. Uh Lord that uh, they need to talk to I just pray that uh, you might move, you might act, that you might touch them, that you might touch the other person, and that instead relationships will be restored and uh, uh, and your spirit uh, might, uh, might take full control. Lord, we give each of these matters into your hand and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor uh, David, David Butcher on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan will be looking at the question, does forgiveness negate accountability? This is a really big one. This is important that we deal with this issue really look forward to you joining us but then uh, but until then please remember Christ said I'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives so don't be troubled or afraid may our god richly bless you this program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio